0: Welcome to the World War II radio podcast. This week, we have an episode of America Looks Abroad, hosted by foreign correspondent Robert Arden. It first aired September 1st, 1941. This version of America Looks Abroad is different than the NBC radio show that ran from 1939 to 1940. This version of the show was a local one, airing over KFWB in Los Angeles in 1941 and 1942 under various names. The World War II Radio Podcast is a brick-pickle media production. If you like the show, please leave feedback on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen. You can also support the show by clicking on the link in the show notes and offering your financial support. Your donations help us to continue to produce the podcast. And thanks to those of you who have already donated. Thanks for listening, and enjoy this week's episode of the World War II Radio Podcast. Look,
1: Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. unite in the celebration of Labor Day. But this time, more than ever before, the celebration of this typically American holiday transcends its national significance and becomes the focal point of worldwide interest. And it is indeed a very peculiarly divided world that watches a free people, the citizens of the strongest democracy on earth, celebrate a traditional holiday with traditional liberty of action, thought, and worship. In the rest of the world, traditions and liberties have been shattered to bits or destroyed. And so one part of that world, chained to the chariot of a triumphant conqueror, is going to look with anxious and hopeful eyes upon the people of the United States as their saviors. Another part of the globe, where bloody battles are still being fought, in order to decide the destiny of countries and people, will look with divided sentiments upon America. One side, of course, expecting material aid from the people of America, will receive new hope and find new incentives in their valiant stand against the aggressor, while the other side, formed by the avowed arch enemy of liberty and democracy, will look with ill-disguised hatred and perhaps a slight undertone of fear at this people celebrating and enjoying their freedom. And last but not least, there are a number of nations for one reason or another undecided about which side to join that may find America's Labor Day celebration a deciding factor. And since there is so much importance attached to this year's Labor Day, it might not be a bad idea to see what happened on last Labor Day, the one before that, and the one before that, because... It is almost exactly four years ago since the first clouds of warfare began to darken the horizon of the civilized world. What has happened during those four years is now a matter of record on the pages of history. And if human customs are any criterion, the recorders of our deeds must have used up plenty of red ink, for most of the history of the past four years was written by human hands with human blood. Though sometimes referred to as the most precious liquid to be found, it was spilled so carelessly and wantonly as if it were just so much dirty water. Chinamen were sacrificed in veritable hecatombs; Spaniards decimated in wholesale lots. Czechs, Poles, Austrians, Frenchmen, Dutch, Serbs, and Greeks were killed in numbers that would stagger anyone's imagination. And now the Russian people are dying in the defense of their own country. At times I wonder what our earthly doings look like, seen from way up there where the offices of history are located. Whether we do look as grown-up human beings or whether we look more like crazy ants performing funny antiques without rhyme or reason. According to the laws of perspective, it seems more likely that we look more like ants White ones, red ones, and black ones, all mixed together and living in an enormous evergreen garden, but somehow managing to get into each other's way constantly until a merry free-for-all starts. Truly, if there were any brains in that bunch of ants, it should have occurred to them a long time ago that the garden is really big enough for all contains food enough for all, and that every blessed one of those little creatures could live merrily and happily if they only try to live with each other instead of off each other. But obviously ants are like that and without brains. Once as a youngster, I tried to reason with some red ants, and the result was that I ran screaming back to mother, my hands and legs swarming with those little devils, which kept on biting in the same measure, as i kept on yelling human experiences such as this one are essentially valuable we live to experience life its trials and labors until we experience death and so perforce the experiences of the past 4 years must contain a great value if we only take the trouble to find it history as a science would be pretty uh, pretty worthless hardly more than a pastime for the student of the abstract if it were not for the inherent value of human experience. And so, history which records those human experiences in chronological order, applied as a practical science, shows the present in the light of the past with a definite clue to the future. And with that incomparable help, humanity ought to be able to determine far in advance whither it is headed. But human temperament... Emotional upheavals, social ills, and many other all-too-human features usually play havoc with cool and deliberate logic. We are very fortunate today in having at our disposal very accurate records of the events that took place in this world of ours, records which embrace thousands of years of world history, including the social, political, and economic evolution of mankind ever since the days of the dim past. And we have not only accurate accounts of the events, but we also have exact analyses of their underlying causes and motive forces. We know exactly what happened to the Greek and Roman empires, and we know what caused it to happen. We know how Hannibal and Attila the Hun came and ended. We know how the great Spanish realm crumbled into ruins. We know the destruction of the French aristocracy, the advent and adventures of Napoleon Bonaparte. And in our modern times, we know all about the collapse of the First German Reich, the floundering of the Second and the creation of the Third Reich, dominated by that monstrous menace, which is Hitlerism. Exactly four years to the day, I commented on the current situation as follows, and I quote, It is a very pleasurable feeling indeed to know that the vast expanse of the Atlantic lies between ourselves and the old world, where, right now, storm clouds are gathering around the tops of the Sudeten Mountains. Little known to the outside world only a few weeks ago, and having but scant contacts with it, this segregated region suddenly has become a keg of dynamite, likely to explode any minute and tear the flimsy piece of Europe to shreds and envelop the entire world with a blanket of flames. This danger of an explosion is much more of a reality than most of us here in the United States are apt to realize. Despite the Anglo-French proposal, things do not look any too bright for Europe's peace at the moment. But until tomorrow, the world can breathe easy until tomorrow peace is assured, because Hitler and Chamberlain will keep their rendezvous on the Rhine before anything will or can happen. What a tragedy to have the peace of the world measured in terms of 24 hours. Right after that prediction, things happened and happened fast. The Sudetenland, Czechoslovakia, Austria, were raped by the Teutonic juggernaut in quick succession, and then Adolf Hitler the head of that Nazi monster announced, Germany has no more claims. Germany wants peace. Now let us see what the Hitler-wanted peace looked like on Labor Day 1939. At that day in Moscow, the Supreme Soviet, which is the Russian version of a parliament, unanimously ratified the non-aggression pact between Germany and the Soviet Union. And at that time, I wrote, and I quote again, Hitler has perpetrated the greatest fraud in history. He has definitely challenged the democratic world by securing his eastern borders against unexpected Russian intervention, and that, in the light of his previous assurances that his foremost aim was the destruction of the Bolshevist regime, an assurance which had brought him the benevolent and silent report of the Western powers in his rearmament program, Well, in the light of those assurances, it could no longer be doubted that he was going to settle with France and England, and in case of a Nazi victory, Russia's turn would be next. Only two days after this article was published, the tired voice of Britain's premier announced to the world that his country was now at war with Germany. Another year passed. It had seen the destruction of Poland's liberty by the full fury of Nazism's ruthlessness. And under the dateline of September 2nd, 1940, I find the following copy of a broadcast. Can England hold out? Will Hitler win? What is going to happen next? Those and many similar questions come to your correspondent from all sides, by mail, by telephone, and in personal interviews. France, whose military power was reputedly the largest in the world, and England, whose sea power had no peer. Well... Those two nations would certainly stop the madmen of Europe. At least, that's what the world thought at the time. But then came Norway, the invasion of the Low Countries, and finally the tragic collapse of France, and Great Britain was left alone to continue the fight against the Nazis. Hitler had visions of a final and quick victory. He announced that his powerful aerial armada would destroy Britain's defenses within a few weeks at the most and then his soldiers would accomplish what no other man's army had been able to do in modern times, namely, to invade the British Isles and to crush the British Empire. As it looked then, his words did not sound too exaggerated. How could anyone expect England alone to withstand an attack that had crushed within a few short weeks an army of some eight million men and had taken almost without firing a shot a line of fortifications that was considered to be impregnable against any attack. No, indeed, the British did not seem to have the proverbial Chinaman's chance. But the miracle happened. Britain withstood all onslaughts, and the Royal Air Force is growing in strength. Democracy was saved because it was not defeated at the time when its defenses were weakest. And today, on September 1st, 1941... The fourth Labour Day since the now memorable St. incident, Hitler has conquered all of Europe, except the British Isles, and he is at war with the Soviet Union, a war which may easily turn out to be the beginning of the end for Nazism. It cannot be denied that, strategically speaking, Hitler is making certain progress on the Eastern Front. But for the first time since he embarked upon his career as a would-be conqueror of the world, Hitler is paying a terrific price in men and materials for each step he takes. And since the Russian armies do not show any indication of moral or physical disintegration, it can be anticipated that Hitler will have a long way to go yet before he can reap any harvest from his conquests on the Eastern Front. And that, of course, must weaken him in the long run. That is the significance of Labor Day 1941. The whole world looks at a free people, united in thought and action, with the last remnants of a badly battered hope for help. A conqueror whose motto is, we are better people than the rest of you, and we, therefore, are the world's rulers. That conqueror must be destroyed in order to make sure for now and all times to come that government of the people, by the people, and for the people shall not perish from the earth. Au revoir.